Greetings and welcome to Outlaw Gamer Radio, the official podcast of OutlawGamers.com. This is the show where we live to play and play to live. I'm Brent Adams, joined by a man who regularly gets his clothes stolen while soaking in a bathhouse, Mr. Lauren Baumgarten. Lauren! <laughs> uh, hey, Brent. How you doing, buddy? What's going on, man? I hear that's a real problem on the bathhouse scene uh, these days. I am. Uh, uh, oh, now I know. I didn't even know what you're referring to. I thought you were just making a comment about last week, but uh, <laughs> now, now I see that it actually relates to the there show. There is an actual tie-in to the show. There um, is a tie-in to the show. I apologize, by the way, uh, for making us late this week. It was my fault. Apparently, uh, Brazil can't support my internet needs. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of appetites Lauren Baumgarten has that Brazil's just not ready for. You know what I'm saying? No, but there's a lot uh, that But uh, that aside, enough about bathhouses though. Uh, there's another oh. there's another introduction that we need to make here at the top of the show because lurking what? in the background, though you might not be able to hear his voice, you can certainly hear his hair. The one, the <laughs> only, Mister DK Money Shazal Daniel what's Kaiser. Up? What's going on, man? What did you know how hard it was not to laughter in that intro? I was like muting my mic because I mean that was pretty, that was pretty funny. The the visual, so that's what comedy's all about, right? The visual, yeah, painting. So a just imagining Lauren in a bathhouse <laughs> with like emerging to find that his clothes have been stolen. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You're back. You're here. You're on the show for two minutes. And you're not you're not commenting just on how like that Brent's funny, but it's really it's it's the visual of me being in the bathhouse. It's really the visual no, of you. Happen, like the, the oh my god, what just happened? That look. Yeah. I've, look, I've visualized you in a bathhouse for years. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for having me on. I love you guys. I, we congrats love you, on all this stuff going on with Ella. It's great. I love what you guys are doing, and I'm honored to be on the show. And it's, it feels like old times, especially like if Tony's mic. We're muted. <laughs> that's exactly Which, right. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. That's usually what we were kind of hoping for every week, you know? <laughs> it's like, hey, Tony, like, what if you just sort of like, you know, were like on the line with us today, but didn't really say anything? I can't tell you, and just a little inside baseball here, how, how many times Brent and I made the joke when Tony showed up, like, oh, is he going to be on the show today? Oh, like we did it every week. I every think, every much. week, like, and it would always be like Tony's like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" Right in the middle of me and DK's like, "I know he's just like so fucking." Hey man, oh hey, you're here, and you'd think that that w- that you'd think that would get old, that it wouldn't be funny after a while, but for DK and I, never happened. <laughs> Repetition never happened. Still baby. funny after all these years. So. Yes. Uh, let's go ahead and kick this thing off, guys. We're going to start in the garage. We've got uh, mm. some videos. We've got some news that we're going to talk about. But uh, we're going to start with the video that inspired today's uh, Lauren bashing intro. And that is <laughs> the PlayStation Experience demo walkthrough of Until Dawn. Uh, we mm. talked about this a number of times on the show. If you're not familiar, just to, just to remind you, just to jog your memory, it, this is the... Uh, this is the teen slasher in a cabin horror film video game thing that mm. uh, is co- going to be coming to uh, PlayStation. 4. I think it says that on the box, actually. Yeah, it actually, yeah, w- with my name next to it. But um, the point is that uh, we've got what about a seven and a half minute video uh, yeah. showing this uh, this one section of the game. Lauren, why is this in the document this week? 
Well, I think if you watch the video, you will know the answer to that question because it's freaking awesome. That's why. <laughs> I, you know, this demo, I don't know how I missed this demo. It came out in December, and, and I missed it somehow, but I stumbled upon it when looking at stuff for last week's show. Yep. And uh, you, you know, Brent, this is a game that I'm, I'm very interested in. I like horror games. Yep. I really like the fact that there's people playing in these sort of more traditional campy Friday the 13th kind of horror genre as opposed to something uh, like The Evil Within, which is actually scary as shit. Um, and uh, I, I love that, that that the sandbox is being played, and we talked about another game that's also playing in the sandbox last week, a couple, last week or the week before. But, uh, uh, you know, I saw I stumbled upon this video, and I watched the seven minutes of video, and I thought it was... I thought it was really, really well done, and it looks really interesting. There's so many things about it that I thought were well done, not just in capturing the the, the sense of those movies, but uh, you know, from the, the graphics, the character animation, sort of what's going on as she moves throughout the house, and 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 how freaky the villain is. I just I thought it was really, really great footage, and and I thought attention needed to be paid. Right. Well, hmm. I. I'm also interested in this, as we've talked about in the past, although I, I really do not care for this genre of, uh, of horror film uh, really mm-hmm. at all. It's, it's not to my taste, but I appreciate, He's afraid of towels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had a rough time at camp as a kid. And- <laughs> there, there, there's a story behind that that we won't go into, but anyway. We just refer to it as the towel incident. We um, leave it there. So, but my point is that I, while I'm not necessarily into this genre myself, I dig that they are. I dig what they're trying to do. I dig the fact that they're really trying to play in that sandbox, and that it, it, it is kind of you know a, a celebration of of something that they obviously have a lot of love for. Um, but the thing that really interests me about the game specifically is I'm very very interested in the kind of the dynamic sort of storytelling. The butterfly uh, effect they talk yeah, about. Yeah, engine that they put into place. I really want to see that in action, and I want to see how satisfying that is to play through. I, if they've been able to create a game that has, I can't remember how many characters there are in the game, you know, like eight like eight people or whatever, but if they've been able to, to create a game where you can play as one of those eight people and through their kind of, you know, branching story system or whatever, like it actually legitimately kind of feels like, you know, the story takes place from their perspective and there's like all these unique things to their choices that go in very divergent ways when you play as other characters, as opposed to simply it's the same character making the same, or it's a different character making the same choice over and over again. If, If they've really been able to do something innovative on that front, I'm interested in that. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if not the actual substance of, of the game. Mm-hmm. What about you, DJ? Any, anything here? Uh, I'm polar opposite of you guys. Mainly on the heels. I think this is like one of the worst things right now for Sony, just because, you know, coming on the heels of the Order 1886, getting bashed by uh, a lot of people for basically being a quick-time movie that... Yeah. Uh, uh, that maybe lets you shoot guns every once in a while. Uh-huh. Um, this is feeling a lot like that to me. Now, I, I don't, don't disagree at, with that. I don't at all discredit the uh, amazing graphics, the amazing production value, 
This is a game that demos very well. This is a game that you play on Halloween night with people who are not gamers. That's This is what this comes across to me as. I don't know much about it, and I'll be upfront in saying that. They might have spoken about some revolutionary thing they're bringing to the table. I get the branching stories. I get that there's options that lead. It's not all just black and white, make or break. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> Pulling that one I'm not seeing... Yeah, I'm not seeing like th- things that would interest me as a a player in terms of character progression this that and the other thing these types of things get very old once your wall comes down what they look great in a demo and you play them and you're like okay well i'm sick of getting caught every time i try to run you only have two options do i hide do i run what do i do yeah. so once you start figuring out okay here's where i run here's where i hide here's where i do this here's where i do that Okay, then it just starts becoming like you're not even scared of the guy anymore. You just want to get through the damn game. So, what are they doing to counter that? Like, so wait a minute. So, what, I, I want to call you on something. I want, to, I want to ask you both your opinion because you know, and we don't have it on the docket to talk about the order specifically this week, but it's certainly been a big story this week because it hasn't gone over well, and yeah. there's been you know a lot of talk about the length and there's you know this quick time thing. And, and the idea of like it is it is become that the word quick time is just utterly a bad word now. But I, I will say that you know uh, and, Not and necessarily. I, I, I well, but I think it is, and and I think that and I'm going to talk about it a little bit later because I picked up Tomb Raider and played it this week a little bit. So I'm going to talk about there's quick time speci- events in Tomb Raider. There's quick time events in Uncharted. Right. I'm going to talk specifically about that and, and how. It but they're relates. not the focus exactly. Well, but, you know. So so, but here's what I want to know: is like, what's the difference? I don't feel like when I look at the order, for example, or when I look at uh, um, Tomb Raider, for example, I don't feel like those are the same games as something like Heavy Rain or Beyond yeah. Two Souls, yeah. uh, which I think are fantastic games, and and people, you know, talk about them just being quick time events. And when I look at Until Dawn, I see a little bit more of the sort of um, Heavy Rain. Uh, um, Beyond yeah. Two Souls vibe than I do say like the Order I or Tomb that. Raider. I, I agree yes. with that. Uh, well, that's I totally thing, agree with that. That's what know, I was thinking. That doesn't scare. That doesn't scare me off because uh, you know, like you were saying, like I like those games, but there are plenty of people who play those games and you know didn't get into them based solely on the fact that they're like, oh, it's not really a video game. I kind of consider it more of an interactive story, you know, mm-hmm. or an interactive yes. movie, I guess. Well, and did you have a question about the order? I mean, because I've not played through the order before what I've seen of it. I mean, but I could like while we're sitting here talking about it, I could play through well, it real fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you just you kind of akin it to the order. And I feel like there's sort of, you know, the order from what I've read, I have not played it, but I just experienced the Tomb Raider. Like Tomb Raider is constantly, as you said, taking away your control. I mean, it's literally like you, you're not doing anything. It becomes a movie. Whereas when you're in like uh, Heavy Rain or something like Beyond Two Souls, uh, there may be a lot of quick time events, but you're in control most of the time. They're just you may well, not like you may not like the controls, right? Um, and I, I, that's the kind of vibe I was getting from Until Dawn more than what I see in the Order, for example. What, my my whole point with quick time events is they serve they serve to to introduce casual people to gaming the idea that this is now interactive something that they it's all about your expectation expectation right, because it's not like wor- twitch mechanic kind of stuff that like, that intimidates non-gamers it's it's very in the moment do i do this option or this option and did i press it at the right time yeah. that's it so like that's all it is now 
I honestly had to be reminded that there are quick time events in Tomb Raider because I was more focused on upgrading my bow, upgrading the different weapons, yeah. the, the finding different items. There's character progression. There's fun gameplay where you're actually doing a variety of things. So my whole stance on the quick time thing is that's fine, but it's completely different. And so w- what I open my you know kind of stance on with this thing is this is not a good thing for Sony right now because it's biggest game thus far for the PlayStation 4 is being ripped apart because it has too much uh, too much emphasis on these quick time events. And quick time events are not inherently bad. Let me make that clear from my perspective. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But from my perspective, they're not inherently bad, meaning that the moment you include them in a game, that it becomes a negative. Now, look at God of War. Look at a lot of other games. There are quick time events that, you know, kind of help bring to life certain parts of the story. But to me, they are more complement rather than core mechanics. So if a game like Until Dawn is resting on quick time events as a core mechanic, I instantly kind of just say, well, I'm not very interested because it's going to get boring fast. As soon as you as soon as you exit out of the realm of it being a presented canned demo, then it starts getting like, okay, I've died five times. I'm going to do the other. Then it's just like memorization. You you go here, do that, do blah, 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 blah. It's just Dragon's you, Quest at that point. Is that how you felt about like uh, Walking Dead? Well, Walking Dead, uh, not necessarily. I mean, uh, I, I didn't play through all of it, but what I did play of Walking Dead, I was more, ver- you know, just very interested in the story and right. the options, and the story was very compelling. So that, again, was enough to kind of save the fact that, you know, right. what the actual gameplay mechanics are, are different. Yeah, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the, the game is going to be fantastic, but I do, I think it's... Like Brent, you had mentioned that that uh, the controls were, you know, for non-gamers or for easy. And I think, for example, and this could be a whole other conversation. David Cage would totally God, disagree with you. I think I think you look at you know David Cage's games. He, he didn't pick those controls to make the game easier. He picked them because he was exploring uh, the different relationships of input devices and input modalities to, to playing a game. And, and, and to, in, in my opinion, to, to great effect, but um, not perfect effect for sure, but to, to pretty damn good effect. Um, so I, you know, I think I, these. I don't disagree with you, and just but, and just you know, there's I a mean, difference like, between intention. There's a di- there's a difference between intention and execution, you know. And there's yeah. a difference between you know what an artist intends and you know what the actual experience is on the other side. And I, I mean, right. you know, like David Cage, Peter Molyneux. There's a there's a lot of names that you know we could kind of throw into a pile of people who who have really great intentions and in what they want to do, and then how well received those those uh, yes. things actually or how are. well executed too I mean these games that you see every game that you're talking about whether it's The Order or uh, Until Dawn or Heavy Rain these games are graphically superior to to their contemporaries because they have less emphasis on other aspects they're focused on making it appear a certain way they're focused on putting you into a film environment where you're playing a movie and at because of that they're sacrificing other things and my personal palette is, you know, I'll watch a movie. Or I actually enjoy some of the games. I'm not saying I don't like them. You just have to be in a certain frame of mind and, and take it for what it is. Fair enough. I think it's all about the story. I think it's, it's yeah, I mean, like, you know, if, if, the, if the game's focus is the story, if the game's focus is, you know, is just letting you experience, you know, the, the kind of the movie in quotes that you were talking about, DK, then right. I think you kind of have to be into that because if you're yes. not, then there's not really gameplay to save it for you. I guess. Exactly. Speaking of Tomb Raider, 
Mm. Crystal Dynamics wants everybody to know that the exclusivity for Rise of the Tomb Raider on Microsoft platforms is in no way a new thing, and that uh, the partnership with Microsoft began in 2008. But they also want you to know that (laughs) the partnership with Microsoft is not all that vital to Tomb Raider's existence, and that if you're on other platforms, they're not really focused on you right now. But Mm. they're probably going to be focused on you later. So, Lauren, is Crystal Dynamics just trying to have it both ways here? I mean, just talking out both sides of their mouths because they've got this deal with Microsoft, but they don't want to piss off every other platform owner on the planet. What are they saying here? Yeah, so, you know, I put this one on here today because, you know, you mentioned that, like, they wanted to point out that the partnership had existed before. And you mentioned that, you know... This, this quote going that is to, I, going back to Laura Croft and the Guardian of Light. Right. I mean, there's this quote, which is, I think, a little out of context, sort of, that says, you know, the, 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 the reporter asked him if it wasn't for Microsoft with this. this are you saying are you saying if it wasn't for Microsoft, this game wouldn't exist? And the, the, the guy's like, no, I'm not saying that because, well, that's just a silly statement. Like if Microsoft wasn't here, nobody would have made Tomb Raider. And so that's. That quote is kind of eh, a little questionable, but what I, what I really sort of wanted to talk about here was this Microsoft exclusivity crap that that you know we all experienced when they announced the game. Yeah, at, was it E three that they announced it? I think um, that you know when, when they said it was Microsoft exclusive, everybody freaked out and they kind of backed up and said, "Well, it's not. It's it's timed exclusive." It's timed exclusive. Yeah. And now they're back using this language of like they're just they're using this smarmy language, in my opinion, of like well. What he said very specifically, and it makes me actually wonder if there's another company working on it. Maybe. I don't know. He said, Crystal Dynamics is focused on, and the quote is in here, and you can watch the video. Crystal Dynamics right now is focused on the Xbox One and Xbox 360. As for other platforms down the road, well, we'll just have to see. And it just, I, I, it just, it feels, it feels smarmy, right? Is all I it's can just, say. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just bullshit corporate doublespeak. It's, you know? it's, it's super, like, consumer averse, if you ask me. And I don't understand, I, I mean... I don't really even understand what they're trying to do. Like, if you're going to be exclusive, be exclusive. If you're going to be timed exclusive, tell people it's a timed exclusive. Just, just, but I, I, I don't stop, really understand. Stop Daniel, trying to uh, stop trying to obscure the matter. I, have with, you? I, I can't remember right. Daniel a, 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 an example uh, that, that uh, of this uh, in the last five or ten years of like this sort of half-assed, sort of exclusive kind of thing where they're not really admitting it. Do you? Do you remember anything like this? No, not particularly with with such a prominent type of franchise and also, you know, like a big deal. Like maybe with like DLC and like, you know, it's going to come out on this system yeah. first. I mean, you know, right. they're always fighting wars at E3 about who's going to announce the exclusivity for DLC first, you know, with Call of Duty or whatever. Um, so, yeah, there's been instances of that. But to have the actual core game coming out on a platform first i mean i agree that it, it should be a commitment you know it should be um but it, it is it, it's a double-edged sword exclusivity you're you're alien you're getting probably paid up front but you're alienating half of your potential audience um if you're not you know a platform exclusive like a halo or an uncharted uh which is built from the ground up to facilitate that and to be an exclusive if if you're a third-party title coming in as an exclusive then you really need to be careful with how you manage your brand and how you set expectations so um yeah i mean i i think no news is the best news in this regard until you just say 
we by simply stating we are a timed exclusive that's all you need to say because it implies and you know makes official that it will be coming to the other platforms we're just not saying exactly when yet so right i don't know why he's backpedaling on that though i mean i thought they had said that at e3 and now you seem to be backpedaling a little well, bit. No, if, if I'm remembering correctly, and maybe I'm not, because uh, God knows I've killed some brain cells along the way, but if I'm remembering correctly, wasn't the hubbub, that, like at E3, they said, all they said was, you know, in, in an exclusive, you know, blah, blah, blah with Microsoft, and... And then you know everybody got in a big furor, and everybody's like, "Oh, look, this has got to be a timed exclusive, right?" And they kept asking them about it, and like they kept saying, "Look, all I can tell you is that right now we're focused on we're focused on right. the Xbox, you know, which is just PR speak for it's coming to everything. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Right, of and, course. And that's the thing is, I think that I think that Lauren is right in the sense that, in my opinion. Consumer friendly practices involve information, involve giving people information so that they can they can make an informed decision. And that's the opposite of what's happening here. There's no information really being given because they're they're basically caught between trying to please two different entities. On one side, you've got gamers as a whole who may or may not own an Xbox One or an Xbox 360. And then on the other side, you've got Microsoft, who they've you know, they've taken money from. And they've got to try to make both parties happy. They've got to try to make Microsoft um, happy and, you know, and honor whatever agreement they have and, you know, and promote that partnership to, you know, to whatever degree they're obligated to. But that, that but like Lauren says, they don't want to alienate everybody out there because they're well, going to want their money soon enough once, you know, once it does come out on the other platforms. Well, and that's, you know, if I was PR director over there, I mean, the message has and to be why more aren't you? with the truth. Is my you, question. You can, you could spin it in a different way, meaning you could say, look, we could not be more excited to have the Tomb Raider franchise be as relevant now as it once was. We are grateful for the opportunity to bring this franchise back, and we're grateful for every player across every platform that helped bring it there. Now, Microsoft has approached us because they are particularly excited about what we are doing with the next iteration of Tomb Raider. We're taking everything we've done before, and we're ramping it up. Microsoft saw this potential, and they want to deliver that to their users first, We've entered into agreement with them to do just that, but we also look forward to everyone having the opportunity to play our game at some point in the future. What's wrong with that? You just, you just gave it. I mean, I don't know how much that was worth, but I mean, that's worth some change, buddy. Like, I mean, that's that press release writes itself. <laughs> uh, you should, What's wrong? You're not, you, you're being honest, yeah. but you're just kind of doing it in a way that is, you know, you're not alienating anyone. You're not, I mean, just say that. I agree. It doesn't. It really doesn't seem that difficult. It doesn't seem like it's all that difficult to just do the right thing. And yet, here right. we are. Right. Speaking of doing the right thing, <laughs> wait. <laughs> we're going to close out the garage this week, which with the news I'm sure everybody has heard, and that is that Kanye West is working on a video game to honor the memory of his dead mother. Um. <laughs> I certainly have opinions on this, but I'll put that on hold for the moment. Hmm. Lauren, well, why are we talking about this story? Uh, I, I'll tell you why we're talking about this story, because just before the show, you said to me, the Kanye West story is the greatest story I've ever seen. <laughs> and I knew, I knew several days ago when I put it on the docket that you would feel that way. That is why we are talking about it, sir. All right. I'm excited. 
Uh, we're talking about morning. it because the story is that Kanye West is making a goddamn video game about his mother Jesus. going to heaven. <laughs> about his mom going to heaven. He said something about like being at the gates of heaven or something. I don't understand. Like Honestly, the- I was laughing so hard during that part, I didn't hear everything he had to say, but... I don't understand the gameplay mechanics that could be in this if it's such a limited scope. It probably of probably involves jumping up and storming out of your seat for a stage somewhere. Isn't he married to Beyonce? Kim Kardashian. I, think- I don't know. Oh, Kim Kardashian. That's it. Kim- yes. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Jay Z's married to Beyonce. Correct. And yes. he's married to Kim Karda- Kardashian, which means yes. that there could be some bumps in the road for development, but it could actually. <laughs> Also translate into some. <laughs> I was going to say something I probably shouldn't say. So anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> let me tell you what this game is. Okay, hmm. what this game is? Employee? It's the uh, no. Brent's new favorite iOS title. This hmm. game is the foundation of GamerGate Part Two. That's what this game is. Oh, that's true. because this game is going to come out. It's going to blow donkey balls. People are going to say it blows donkey balls, and then Kotaku and Polygon are going to give all of us a big lecture about how gamers hate black people. That's what this game is. <laughs> oh, God. We're, gonna get, we're getting emails on that. I think that's, Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that's exactly what's going to happen. I guarantee you that's what Kanye is going to say. I'm, I'm just in it for the fog, man. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we have left the garage and headed into the clubhouse. We got Daniel Kaiser to come in here with us. He has no idea hey, what he's getting into, and that's cold out. here. Turn up the heat. Uh, but before we talk to how much that costs right now, <laughs> before we talk to uh, our special guest star, Daniel Kaiser, uh, not Brent, just a special believe, guest, a special guest star. I like <laughs> that's exactly right. I want, I really want some seventies music and like you and in, in the you know in the credits, real big, uh, Brent. Uh, we do we do have a a poll from last week. We were talking about uh, review scores in general and uh, what Eurogamer specifically was doing with it. Why don't you run the run down the poll for us? I'm happy to do that because I remember to include the poll with uh, that uh, that last episode of uh, Outlaw Gamer Radio. There, so uh, very excited about that. Here's the question that we asked. Of course, we were talking about review scores and the changing policy of review scores that we were seeing from uh, from Eurogamer and others. We were very excited about it. We said, do you like how Eurogamer is changing its review score approach? And here is how the outlaws voted. With 18%, you said, no, I like the simplicity of review scores. 38% of you said, I like their new review format, but don't think that it will change the industry. But the number one answer with 44%, the Outlaw Gamer Society said, yes, if other sites follow suit, it could lead to meaningful industry reforms. I'm with you guys. Mm-hmm. I hope that, uh, that Eurogamer is going to be uh, leading a charge here that that others will follow suit. And, you know, Daniel, it's it's actually apropos that we have you on uh, today's show while we're talking about these results because I mentioned during that uh, that conversation that you were a big influence on me in, in this in this regard, that, uh, that prior to you and I working together on gaming stuff, I didn't really think all that much about review scores. I, I didn't have a real strong opinion one way or another. And that you were the one that really turned me around on this issue, uh, it, because you know, you kind of explained uh, really a lot of the things that Eurogamer was talking about about you know really giving meaningful information and not really being able to do that with a number. It's right. something that we did on Epic Battle Axe, although we only did two episodes of Reviewcast. You know, we talked about Ghostbusters, 
and uh, Madden. I can't remember which Madden it was. Maybe ten. NFL ten was it ten? Yeah. But uh, you know, we only did two episodes of that. But you know, that was one of the that was one of the big big things with that show is that you know we gave a recommendation, not a review score. Right. And then obviously, you know, that's something that uh, that Lauren and I have kind of continued on and doing the postmortems that you know we don't you know we're not reviewing games. We're just you know talking about you know the experience of playing them. It's 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 one of those things that uh, that's been kind of a mainstay of Epic Battle Axe for you know for a really long time, and it was it was really uh, it was really interesting to kind of see this happen in such a in such a way that that could form to like what you had had told me like way way back in the day many years ago. You kind of said here's like what I think they ought to be doing. I mean that's basically what Eurogamer's doing. It was pretty cool. Well, the industry, and just, I mean, just to touch on it real fast, you know, uh, which we'll get into the fact that, you know, now I'm I'm running retro and and there'll be some changes coming there pretty soon. But, you know, the bottom line is that scores can be helpful, but they, they're more damaging to me than they are uh, uh, promising or effective or, or something that actually help the situation. And the reason being that, you know, a lot of times you'll read a, for a variety of reasons. A, a lot of times you'll read a review or watch a review and then the score comes up and your personal gut feeling of, well, what I just listened to or what I just read contradicts this score. Even if it's slightly, sometimes it's a lot. You're like, they just bashed the hell out of this game and they gave it an eight. What? Yeah. What does that mean? Or they just said this game was amazing and they gave it a six. Like, I don't understand. So the score doesn't really help. What I'm saying is let your opinions speak for themselves if you're going to give a recommendation it should really come from just a a a sampling of of options which are should i buy this should i play this at some point or should i completely ignore this like that's basically all you need to do uh and then let your opinions and your criticisms kind of speak for themselves uh criticisms or praises that's but the the reality and everyone needs to know this is that the gaming industry has scores too far integrated into its culture to make an overnight change. Now, I do think that over the course of time, things can change. But when you live in a world where game developers are getting incentives and bonuses based on whether or not a Metacritic score is at a certain level, that's not, you know... That that doesn't change overnight. It does not. That doesn't change overnight. That was why I called for last week, and and I think that you'd agree with me on this, one of the things I called for last week is I would like to see Metacritic support this by, you know, there's no reason that it's got to, you know, it's got to be distilled down to a number. Why can't I go to a Metacritic page for the Order 1886, and as opposed to just seeing the aggregate score, why can't I also see an aggregate summary from nine, Pass. ten different right. websites? It's just that it's that one sentence summation that you know we, we were talking about. You know, the order eighteen eighty six is a is a great visual ride with many quick time events, but core gamers may find it a little too brief and a little too light on gameplay to really get into. You know, whatever that you, is, you know whatever that sentence is. Why not have you know every major gaming website? Let's see that. That brief one sentence summation assembled yep. on that Metacritic page. You can go there. You can read through those in less than a minute and get a really good idea of where people stand on a title. I really would like to see Metacritic step up and support this because I think that therein uh, lies the key to to really wider yeah. change. And some people bash me because I put out a tweet like, "Oh, because like for the order specifically, you've got people ranking it." 
<laughs> a 90 and a 20 or like a 95 and a 20 or something yeah. like that. It was like a 75-point yeah. difference on a 100-point scale. And people are like, oh, well, aren't we allowed to have different opinions? I'm like, yes, but you're also dealing with an industry where people are trying to get hits. So, hey, most people are going to rank this about a 40. If I go out of my way to rank it a 25, it's a little shock value. So, Or if uh, I go out of my, my, my way to rank it 95, it's exactly, shock value. Yeah. Exactly. It, yeah. work, it works in both, both directions, much like Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there it is. It took longer than I thought. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> you know you were thinking it. <laughs> Double uh, whammy. Yeah. Dude! Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, obviously our audience is in favor, but I, th- I think, again, this is, you know, as as, I, I, as you said, Daniel, I, I think review scores are, are both consumer and industry averse. Yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully what Eurogamer is doing, people will catch on to it and recognize how it's better uh, really for everybody. It, it's more, you know, better genuine feedback, better for the consumer, and, and removes those score-driven incentives that... Yeah. Are, but, are currently unfortunately driving a lot of game design. Game I, I'm sure game develop. I'm sure game developers, you know, are, are not going to miss that additional uh, that dis- that additional artificial pressure. Yeah, certainly not. So, uh, but Brent, did we but, but we talked about this last week. We have something we far more interesting to talk about this week. I agree. And it comes with hair. <laughs> Boy, does it! <laughs> so, as Daniel as Daniel mentioned in passing at the top there, and as as many of you may already know, if you uh, if you follow Daniel on uh, social media, uh, Daniel is taking over as of is it is it the March is it is it March yeah. the month that uh, that it's officially kicking in? C- correct. So, as of March 2015, Daniel Kaiser is now the editor in chief of Retro Game Magazine. Mm-hmm. And yes. retro. If you're not already familiar, retro. There was a Kickstarter for retro, right? And that's correct. That's, that's where they initially got going. Correct. Retro video game magazine was funded um, last year. Right. Um, uh, the first. It's a bi-monthly publication that is focused on um, kind of exploring the culture of gaming. And you know, initially it was obviously, as the name implies, focused on being retro-oriented, uh, talking about you know the, the history of the medium and how we've kind of gotten here today. Um, and a, a team of really just really great journalists that was put together. Everyone from Jeremy Parrish to Luke McKinney. Um, you know, we've got John Godiosi, Robert Workman. We've got historians like Warren Davis, the creator of Qbert, um, and just, you know, a, a lot of really great people. Uh, Chris Kohler, another well-known guy writing for us. Um, tons of tons of great people writing for the publication. Um, but, you know, after I left Game Trailers and all that went down, I was looking for an opportunity to do something unique. Uh, and my background, a lot of people don't know this, Brent knows this, but my background was in print prior to my career with game trailers. I actually was a print production manager, um, at a publication in Tennessee. I started my own, uh, print publication focused on the gaming world. I used uh, to read that in college. Like that used to like, like your, your, like that early little game magazine that you guys did used to be, they were always floating around, the uh, the the digital media center when I was in college and I would tell it's like hey I, like my buddy like he, he he made this that's awesome well and that there there is something fun about print right you know I think we've explored a lot of stuff like and there's no doubting the convenience of you know online information and no, also no, no, no. but you can't you know, leave you can't leave a website on a desk for somebody to wander by and discover 
Exactly. That's you know? very true. And also there's, you know, there's just something about having something physical in your hand that I think people, I think we've reached that point where people miss that now. Like we, we I, I absolutely miss that. I would much yeah. rather read a magazine than a digital magazine. Lauren's always talking about how he misses holding something in his hand. <laughs> We're going hard on Lauren this time. Right? <laughs> yeah. really? Really? Hell's going hard is this going to turn into a hard on joke? <laughs> I was going to say it was the first time he's had anything hard in a while. So. <laughs> No, I'm just joking. Anyway. No, but, um, you know, the print publication to me is something that I think has a, there's, there's almost like a romanticism with it. It's like we've reached that point now where it triggers like a, oh, a nostalgic type of feel. Like, I yeah. remember what it used to be like to have these. We yeah. Okay, great. We know that the vast majority of things are going to be online. That's great. And digital, we have a digital edition of our publication, if you prefer, as well. But having something in print and physical is something that very much appealed to me. But what I did was I kind of changed the um, also the creative direction of the publication. Because as I was mentioning you know, it's very retro focused, very focused on kind of the history of gaming. And that's fantastic. Um, but there's really only so long you could talk about Pac-Man and pole position uh, before you just run out of content to talk about. And in order for us to be successful, you know, I know just like every other gamer, our industry is very future focused. I'm very much looking forward to things that are coming out. I cannot wait to play the Witcher three. I can't wait to see what they're doing with mass effect. Yep. Those things are great. So what I did was kind of say, let's use what's coming out and what people are excited about in the moment as a springboard to celebrate, not only the genres they helped to create, but also a particular franchise. So case in point, my first edition as editor in chief is uh, coming out right before the release of mortal Kombat X and and we are honoring and celebrating everything that the Mortal Kombat franchise has done for the last 20 plus years. Uh, we have an interview with Ed Boon. We have Warren Davis, who was the creator of Cuber, and also the guy who did the digitization on the original Mortal Kombat, talking about that whole process and uh, taking people really into a behind the scenes look at how Mortal Kombat came to be and how it's evolved over the years. Um, but then we start exploring the entire genre, games like Virtua Fighter and Soul Calibur, uh, of course, the Tekken franchise and sure. uh, l- look at things, you know, even games like Sh- Samurai Showdown, which are not as celebrated, but very much important to these to this uh, genre. So that's what I want this this project and this and this publication to become kind of celebrating gaming's past, present and future, looking at current releases as springboards to honor franchises and explore the past. And so that's what we're doing. And we have, you know, we'll be announcing each edition. The whole year is pretty much laid out, as you could imagine. And we've got some amazing games that we're profiling. But, you know, I want this to be a coffee table book that people pick up at Barnes and Noble, where we're going to be distributed or via subscription. Uh, uh, you know, we have print and digital subscriptions available. And if you want, you pick it up. And it's something that if you're a fan of these genres or these franchises, it helps give your trip down memory lane, but also lets you learn how we got to this point. That's the whole point. Well, you know, well, I we, think... Go, go ahead, ahead. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm super excited about this. And, and when you and I first spoke on the phone and, and you told me uh, what you were doing... I was I was so amped because I was just like man this is like this is such a perfect fit for you uh specifically but also just a great idea uh I think for 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 certainly for for gamers of of our generation I think that you know maybe there's maybe there is less in uh less interest as uh, as you kind of you know get younger and younger uh you know people whose you know whose kind of nostalgia gaming memories is the PlayStation era you know who don't have as much of a connection 
with right. uh you know with i don't know you know gaming in the 90s or late 80s or whatever but you know for me being a student of history being uh, a real enthusiast about history and, and always wanting to kind of understand uh the history of things because i think that it, it brings context to understanding uh the present and future uh, of right. you know of whatever situation I find that is such a helpful and and vital, you know, kind of key to understanding anything. And so I think it's a great, great idea to bring that sensibility into gaming. And, you know, there's just so many great opportunities to uh, there's so many great opportunities to do that. You know, talking about, you know, the the games that uh, that, you know, are going to be coming out this year that we're all like really, really excited about, but also looking back and saying, you know, what's the context for how these things fit into the larger history of gaming or of a particular genre, you know, fighting games, as you were talking about, you know, how, you know, what, what can we learn about the fighting game genre and the transition from 2d fighters to 3d fighters by looking exactly. at the evolution of a mortal Kombat or, you know, street fighter, you know, whatever. Exactly. Those, exactly. Those things and are I, so great. And I think, you know, for guys, you know, people like us, love this medium and i think we've reached a point in the medium where we're actually you know this this medium has always been about cutting edge like how can we push forward how can we push forward how can we do this but the resurgence in indie games you look at a game like shovel knight coming out on the wii wii u and 3ds it's like that's it that's a nintendo game i mean but yep. it's awesome Straight and up. people love it and the reason why they love it is because it reintroduces us to what we loved about gaming in the first place. Yep. And also it, it places an emphasis on w- what is the difference between like, you know, cutting edge, bleeding, <laughs> bleeding edge graphics and taking advantage of all this stuff, but also what is just good, solid, fun gameplay. Yeah. And, you know, I think both are necessary. I'm not in any way saying, you know, my, my life has changed. I've talked about this on Epic Battle Axe a lot over the years. I mean, I've only got the time to really play four to six AAA games per year. Those six games will be featured in Retro Video Game Magazine, right. and, and we will explore those franchises, but we will also look at the genres they help to create. And that's that's my whole goal. And I think there's a lot of people like us who are, you know, feeling nostalgic for what used to be but also want to push the envelope forward but it's not all about that and as an industry i I believe we've reached a point where we've become self-aware of the time that's that's happened like our industry has evolved so fast compared to other mediums uh and and you know we're at a point now where we enjoy looking back a little bit more than we used to you know nobody in the mid 90s was like oh i just want to go back and play I don't want to play my Super Nintendo. I just want to play my Nintendo. No, you're like, give me 16 bits, you know, total, you know, as much music and, and graphics as, as you can. This is amazing. Same thing with the PlayStation. But I think we're finally at that point where people are like, well, let's look back a little bit as we look forward. You know, I think I, I agree with you, Daniel. And I think that, uh, you know, Brent, you alluded to the idea that, that maybe as you get younger, there might be less interest in that. But I, I kind of disagree. I mean, I'm curious to see, you know, we're at the point now where there's a uh, a generation of gamers, and I, and I don't mean you know twelve and thirteen year olds, but but people in their twenties that that never played a lot of the games that I think Daniel's going to be talking about when he's talking about uh, you know the history of what led us to where we are. And, and and frankly, as as Daniel, as you were talking, a lot of those people have maybe have never actually held a gaming magazine in their hand, quite potentially. Yeah. I mean, that's you know it's. These are people that are, quite frankly, have been sort of reared on a, a different generation in their, in their younger years, 
of, of gaming than we were, and they, they may never have been around for those that, those gaming magazines. And, and I think there might uh, I think there might be an audience there too. I mean, I think there's I think I do encounter uh, a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners uh, are you know in their uh, late teens, early twenties, mid twenties, uh, and haven't really necessarily. I mean, there's a lot of the older titles that may not know what Cubert is. You know that they, they haven't right. haven't ever heard of that game or played it. Um, you know, Galaga, Defender, like these are games that they may have never heard of or played. And, and I think that. Uh, I think there's a there's an audience for that there too, and I think it's a super super cool idea uh, uh, to take a, a more in depth look at different aspects, whether it's whether as you said, be genres or uh, specific franchises yeah. or whatever, and really sort of map their development or where they've come from, and, and, and hopefully that leads us uh, leads us to where we're going. And I, and I hope that developers read your magazine too, and maybe do a little remembering about sort of some of how their games have changed in the last 15 years and, and use it as a tool to sort of assess how much of that is, has really been to the betterment of the franchise or genre and how much of it maybe wasn't. Well, and, and also just to, to not forget that, that fundamental gameplay design and mechanics mm-hmm. go a long way, you know, despite whatever graphics may be, you know, I was talking a few weeks ago, Daniel, about, uh, about Zeo Drifter on the 3DS and, no, there, there's no other game that that you could play that's been released, you know, like, like within the last 12 months that will remind you of how much you love Metroid than Zeo Drifter. You know, you play that game and you're just like, man, this is freaking. This is like I, I totally remember, you know, like right. like like just you know, discovering this for the first time and, and you're kind of like figuring out that the game mechanics work this way and and that this is you know what I needed to do in order to win. You know, just like all that stuff. Um, right. You know, that game is just a love letter to. You know, to those game mechanics, to you know, to to those game design sensibilities, and uh, again, like you know, kind of honoring that and reminding people that right. that you know that, that those games succeeded based on those qualities, where you know they didn't have you know really snazzy graphics or you know quick time events or whatever. Totally, and 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 it's about appreciating the evolution of the medium. Like I said, yeah. I'm not like all you need to do is play retro. All you need to play is focus. no. Here we are at this amazing stage. I mean, I'm I'm a musician too, and I'm and as you are, Brent. Um, and uh, you know. I, I just have a fascination with like old records or, or not for anything, but you know, my father's passed away. I didn't get to talk to him a whole lot, but like the idea of coming home with Abbey road as a record, right? Like I can't just like instantly download this. It, it was something that was special, tangible. You bring it home, you drop the needle and you're listening to something that was recorded with limited. I mean, they only had so many tracks to be able to record and, and it's pumping through your stereo and you're hearing that. And it, it's just like so cool. I mean, that's not to take away from, you know, today's day where, I mean, I could, you know, just literally take my phone out of my pocket and download the latest Foo Fighters album or whatever. And, and it's like, okay, boom, there it's done. But something about that access level too changes the level of, um, an intimacy with the with the thing you like you, you had to work a little bit to get it you know or or it was rare a little more rare uh so I, there's something about the print magazine side too that i feel reestablishes that uh you're looking forward i i remember as a kid i mean i would anxiously wait for nintendo power to show up in oh, my mailbox man. it was the best and, uh, it was the best when it did, it was like Christmas morning. And I think that's why you're seeing a resurgence of things. Like, I think subconsciously people might not really recognize that they're doing it, but you know, you're seeing products and services like Loot Crate and things like that really take off because 
the genuineness of that is something that is a connection with us uh, as as people, as consumers, and and we're seeing that happen. And so my hope and my focus is that retro can serve to ignite those flames of passion for uh, understanding where the medium has been, where it's going, um, and also just, you know, in, invite nostalgia from people who get it and also invite information and the opportunity to kind of learn something about the history of this medium uh, if you are a fan of what interactive entertainment really is. Well said. Yeah, I was so excited when you when you told us that you were doing this. And, I, you know, I, I don't think, first of all, I honestly don't think magazines have transitioned uh, as well as most other things to a digital format. They're just, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, I mean, they... they, they on a 10-inch tablet, you're still reading something that's half the size, right? And this doesn't matter necessarily when you're uh, reading a book, obviously. And if you're watching a movie and you have the sound is really good, uh, it's very tenable in that regard, no question. Uh, but I, I don't think magazines translate that well digitally. And I, you know, I, I am so excited to have a gaming magazine. I love getting on uh, the Long Island Railroad or the subway or whatever or a plane and sitting there and, and reading an actual magazine and not giving a shit about whether or not I have internet, uh, you know, going through tunnels and right. stuff like that, or how much battery I have, or any of that, I, I always have it with me. It's totally I'm like I'm super stoked, dude. I actually got I got Game Informer for a year because I was literally like craving having a, a physical gaming magazine in my hand, yep. and and, uh, and then I read it and decided not to renew. But that's not the point. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, well, and, and Game Informer, you know, Game Informer. Just to address that, I mean, they're the, they're hugely successful. You know, I mean, and I know Andy really well. All those guys over there, uh, Bert, Matt Bert, all those people are are, are great. And you know, I actually really like what they do. I do too, actually. What, what we do is different. When when oh, yeah. you know when the new Mortal Kombat is announced, you're gonna see that broke. That story is broken on a Game Informer. That's their cover. Everyone's gonna cover that news. But when the new Mortal Kombat comes out. Retro is the place that celebrates it. So it's totally different. We we explore the franchise, we explore the genre, and we celebrate and honor those big games, and they break them and let people know about, you know, what's coming. Both equally important, but uh, you know, we're totally different. So interesting to see that. I can't wait to have that that uh, in my hands. I'm so, so uh, super excited for what you're doing. And I think uh, not only am I excited again to have it, like a gaming magazine like that, but but what you're doing with it is also like is also, in my opinion, innovative and super exciting. I can't wait to get my hands on you know it's the games that I'm waiting for. Like I'm thinking as you're talking about the Uncharted issue. I'm not saying anybody that there is going to be one uh, or, or anything like that. But I mean, like issues of the games that are really big on my list. I can't. I, right. I just I can't wait. I think it's I think it's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, guys. I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak about it. And, you know, it's it's equal parts exciting and daunting starting a new project, doing something completely new. Sure. Um, because, you know, we are a startup. So we do need people to, we are a product. And, <laughs> you know, and we need uh, people the, to the landscape us. of gaming media has changed. Yeah. So, you know, if we are going to be successful, we do need support. So, I, you know, I'll use that as a segue to tell people to go to readretro.com, check out the, the website and, and uh, 
readretro.com slash subscribe is where you could pick it up. And, you know, 33 bucks gets your subscription for the entire year uh, for both print and digital. If you want just the digital, it's 18 bucks. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's reasonably priced and it's an opportunity to kind of dive into the culture and the history of gaming. So uh, do uh, support us if you think it's something you're interested in. And I appreciate you guys giving me an opportunity to talk about it. Hell yeah, man. We're happy to have you. And and, and I tell you, I think I think our audience especially is, uh, well, of course. is probably tuned into this because, I mean, you know, we're a show that's all about, you know, getting into the details, you know, talking about, you know, like, you know, why games, you know, matter and, and you know, and all of the, the aspects of, you know, game design and things like that, that, you know, that we love so much. And that's, I think that's a really good fit for the, the kinds of in-depth stuff that you guys are doing. I, I think it's going to be right up, uh, right up their alley. Well, and not Thanks, only that, guys. but of course, every single one of our listeners is, is wants to know what you're up to, Daniel. I mean, every single one of our listeners knows you as well as they know us, has listened to your show for as long or longer than they've listened to our show, uh, and, and uh, is very excited, I'm sure, to hear what you are doing and to come support you in what you're doing. And I know that people are going to be super stoked uh, that you're on the show this weekend just to hear what you're doing and excited to go over and check it out. I can't wait. And uh, I hope it becomes a big part of the discussion here at Outlaw Gamer Society. The, the EBA slash Outlaw community, you know, p- people that have, have continued and have gone on, I mean, I... I I'm continually blown away by how amazing this community has always been. And uh, yep. I think it speaks volumes just about, you know, what what we've tried to do, but really all, you know, just, I've never come across a better community. So, you know, I mean, and just in terms of their, like, prof- you know, intelligence level, but also just like, like everybody's cool. People like to engage in constructive conversation and you just don't get that in a lot of places. Yeah. So it's really, it's really great to be able to, uh, to uh, tap back into it and be able to talk to people. So thanks for the opportunity. Always, man. You're welcome. Anytime. You know that. Did Daniel just say it was really great to be able to tap that shit? <laughs> <laughs> don't try to throw this off of you. We're still laughing about you and masturbation. Damn it. Wait, what? <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to hit the road and talk about uh, the games that we've been playing. We want to thank uh, DK again, who, who, who he's got to run for uh, for other stuff. He's a busy guy, you know, and uh, and, and busy guy. Oh, don't run. lie, dude. We, we put him on the back of the bike like like the little kid that he is when we hit the road. And, and then we off. kicked him off. <laughs> <laughs> just, he flat fell off the back of the bike. He just fell off. Anyway, That's right. uh, DK's got to run, but uh, we just want to thank him once again for coming on the show, classing the place up a little bit. But uh, let's get to what we're playing. Uh, Lauren, I see Evolve in here. Uh, yeah, in the I, list. Have, you been, uh, have you been checking it out? No, I have not. But uh, I did. So, I mean, you know I played in a beta brand, and uh, one of our listeners who wants to remain name, nameless was very kind enough to give me uh, a Steam code oh, cool. uh, for Evolve. He wanted me to check out the game. He really wanted me to play it. Um, I was candid with him that I uh, was out on vacation last week and not to be mad if I didn't get to it right away. Uh, so I, play, I only played like 15, 20 minutes, but I just got to the tutorial on PC. But I'm looking forward. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you very, very much uh, to this listener. That was very kind of him. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Uh, I, I am, uh, Brent, I mean, I suppose you know this, but the listeners don't. I uh, am moving back to the U.S. Uh, from Brazil in about four days. I, I got a, yep. a, a new job back there that wanted me back in a week. So I will be uh, probably uh, leaving uh, HB Studios as community manager of the golf club. Uh, and uh, uh, I start a new job in just a couple of weeks, and consequently, I'm moving back uh, to the U.S. very, very quickly. Which means, Brent, I didn't tell you this, but I have to take apart my PC. Uh-uh. Uh, 
And so I will be sans PC now all of a sudden for the next probably two weeks. So uh, to the gentleman who gave that to me, I apologize. I will not get to play Evolve for at least two weeks, but uh, I will check it out and we will talk about it um, uh, out of respect for that gift. And, and I'm very curious to check it out. So uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in maybe two, three weeks when I get a chance to dive in. Awesome. Yep. So what's next? What's next is you are not going to spoil this game for me. <laughs> that, that's what's next. That's that. That's right. I uh, I did make a solemn vow not to spoil the wolf among us. Uh, but you but finished I have it. finished the game at this point. Uh, and I do you feel really, satisfied? Yeah, I really like it. I mean, yeah. I think that um, I I think that it's a very it's a very different feeling being here at the end of the Wolf Among Us as it was, say, the first season of The Walking Dead. You know, like just emotionally, um, like very different kinds of resolutions and everything. But I have to say that I think that the, because the source material, the fables, graphic novels uh, from DC, uh, DC vertigo, those being the, the basis of the wolf among us and all of the different, all the different layers that, that those have in terms of storytelling, uh, what they're about thematically, the fact that they are drawing upon this, uh, you know, this great genre of, you know, a film noir and, you know, the hard boiled detective novel, uh, all of those things that, uh, that are so, so cool to me and all of that, you know, getting boiled into, uh, into this game. I, uh, I really, really liked in terms of gameplay. I got to say, I think chapter two is still my favorite. I really, really liked, uh, what they were doing with the detective gameplay in chapter two, although there's some cool stuff, you know, that kind of goes on in this fifth chapter where, you know, you have the ability to, you know, to kind of make some, you know, if you figured it out, if you've, you know, done some, some deduction uh, and, and, you know, piece some things together, then, you know, the game gives you the opportunity to kind of say, you know, like, Hey, you know, I think that, you know, so-and-so did X, Y, and Z or, you know, that kind of thing. And that's pretty cool. So I won't spoil anything, but I'll tell you that I loved it. I, at the end, I really, really loved The Wolf Among Us. That there were chapters that I felt were stronger on gameplay that I connected with more than others. But uh, you know, taken taken in some total, I loved the experience of playing The Wolf Among Us. I, I don't know if they're going to do anything else, you know, in this sandbox. I don't know if they feel like they've got another story to tell uh, that that would be here. But you know, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to do something else. You know, with Bigby Wolf and and you know the uh, the Fable Town crew. Yeah, it's a. I, I was not aware of this uh, of Fables uh, uh, before uh, the Wolf Among Us, and and I just think it's awesome source material. And I, uh, I I need to get to finishing that game. I can't believe I haven't finished that game. I do need to get to finishing it. I'm, it I'm stoked. It won't take you long. I think I'm, I think I've got maybe eight hours in the entire season. You know, so it's not it's not it's not a huge investment of time it would take you to get through it. And if you're anything right. like me. You know, once you start back, it'd be pretty easy to keep going. Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, I, I'm excited to hear that you enjoyed it so much, and it, it makes me want to go play it again. But of course, I'm taking apart my PC. So, <laughs> well, there's that, of course. Yeah. All right. So, so what's next for you? Uh, so, you know, Brent, I was really on the fence about buying the order. Uh, yeah. This week, with all the reviews, and not not just the reviews, but you know, people the way people were talking about it, and I thought, you know, like. I don't mind quick time if it's done right. I mean, again, we talked about this earlier. I love uh, Beyond Two Souls. I love Heavy Rain, uh, certainly, you know, and and, uh, and I thought, but, and I don't need a game that's like super long, even if it's eight to 10 hours. If it's really good, I'm down, you know, and, and, uh, 
I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, God, it looks really beautiful, but people are talking a lot about how the game takes away control from you all the time. And I thought, and that there's unskippable cutscenes. And I thought, well, that's really annoying, especially if you die and you have to go back and watch the same cutscene over and over. And so I decided against buying it. I thought, you know what? I'm going to wait longer, see what more opinions from people, maybe see if it gets cheaper. So I'm not going to do that. But there was a sale on uh, Tomb Raider on the PS4, and I had been looking with all this stuff coming out about Rise of the Tomb Raider. I was like, you know, I want to play this game again. And I would love to play it on the PS4 in the definitive edition, but I'm not paying 40 bucks when I own it. And lo and behold, the game goes on sale for 14 bucks. <laughs> of course. So I bought it. Uh, Excellent. And I, and I started playing it. And I got to say, like, in the first half an hour, goddamn if there's any other game on the planet that takes away control from you more than Tomb Raider. Right. Uh, it's super, super annoying. And, and I really am like, it was happenstance that I played this game instead of the order, but it really made me be like, I'm so glad I didn't buy the order because I am so annoyed with Tomb Raider at this point uh, that I, I'm not sure if I'm going to go back and play it anymore. Um, really? Yeah, it just it, it looks good on the PS4, but honestly, it looks dated already. Um, it, it, it looks dated, and it, it's it it just doesn't. Pl- I don't know, man. It's uh, it's so they're so annoying in the beginning, and I remember as I got my first skill point that like the game is so like that RPG quote system is such crap that you end up like upgrading everything, and it's just a question of what order you do it in. And yeah, but I, you know, we, I remember we talked about that, you know, uh, back in the day, and you, you know, I don't know, like I, I have such, I have such mixed feelings on that. It, it's, it's kind of fine, I think, like early in the game, but as you get later and later on, and you kind of like realize that you're just going to max out everything. I don't know. Th- there is something about it that that ultimately I, I feel a little bit unsatisfying. Right, so now playing it again, I already know that at the beginning of the game. At least the beginning yeah. of the game, initially, you, they, they kind of have you fooled into thinking like, oh, I'm making a choice here. And it's at that moment when you realize, oh, my choices really didn't matter that much because yeah. I'm going to end up upgrading everything anyway and not that far into the game, uh, that it sort of becomes meaningless. Well, now I know that from the get-go. So it already yeah. feels meaningless. And I don't know, the cameras are wonky. I don't know if it's... Be- I don't know, I, I'm just... It was like... Super annoying, frustrating, and felt poorly designed to me uh, and dated. And so I stopped playing it, man. But what I did do is, so my, my, my internet had gone out, so I lost space. You know, I couldn't watch anything. I couldn't play a lot of my games. Um, and, I, and I sat down in front of my PC, which I haven't done to play games in a while, and I saw Wolfenstein was there. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to fire up Wolfenstein, the new order, and uh, start a new game. And I played about the first 40 minutes of that, and, and I just, I, I'm, I'm, for 40 minutes, I was blown away moment by moment at how well designed that game is in every single respect. Um, and uh, it's just, it's, it's brilliantly beautiful. The cutscenes are super stylized in the best possible way. The dialogue is just fantastically written. The caricature of Blaskowitz is so good. The, uh, the, 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 you, the, the gunplay, the actual gameplay and holding two weapons and I mean, the guns just feel fantastic, and there is a, a, a real RPG system in there, and and uh, uh, that has more meaning to it. And I just, I, I just like, it's just such a good game. And if you haven't played Wolfenstein, and especially if you're over thirty years old and, and played some of the more linear yeah. shooters like Wolfenstein back in the day, and you enjoyed those, this is this game is in my mind one of the most perfect examples, Brett, 
and I think I've said this before, of, of paying homage to a, an older genre or game design while updating it and making it really feel like it while updating it and, and improving it and making it better in the best possible way without taking one iota away from the core design that makes it classic. I mean, it's right. perfect. It, it, to me, it's almost like, and I, I don't know how you feel about this, and I know some people don't uh, agree with me, but I think J.J. Uh, Abrams' Star Trek uh, was had that perfect balance of of um, being classic and honoring the classic version of the uh, of of the uh, source material and making it feel new and relevant and exciting. And I think Wolfenstein uh, is, is the best game example of that that I can think of uh, at all, and it's just fantastic. Sweet man. Well, I'm yep. glad to hear you're still enjoying it. Then, uh, so good. Uh, all right. So, so uh, you you finished Hitman Go. I finished Hitman Go, man. I uh, I, I tell you, this it, it's it's interesting how this kind of took over for me uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks. But you know, I was playing it, you know, just here and there. And then, like at some point, like I really got into it, and I, I just like became obsessed with you know, like finishing every level and getting like every every achievement on every level and every stage, you know, just on and on and on. And uh, I got to say that this game is um, the the paradigm that this game takes of saying, okay, you know, what if you made, what if you made a Hitman board game and, you know, how would you translate the mechanics of stealth of disguises? Uh, You know, you like the different, the different kinds of enemies that you'll face. Like, you know, what are, what are their game mechanics? And what strategies do you have to use in order to in order to overcome them? Uh, you know how do you how do you kind of govern you know movement on the board and how does you know movement work in with your ability to you know to get from one place to another to you know to take out enemies or to or to not take out enemies you know depending on like you know what it is you're trying to achieve you know some levels you know you're trying to get an achievement for killing all enemies and some levels you're trying to get uh, an achievement for no kills. Uh, you know, just like, like that, that mixture of that mixture of, of kind of the strategy, but also the, the, the really, really great video game mechanics of, you know, establishing game mechanics early on and then building and, you know, evolving the challenges that you face by introducing more complex puzzles, you know, more, more difficult scenarios. I, I really am impressed with how well thought out this game is in terms of its mechanics and uh, and obviously you know the the graphic sensibility the the design aesthetic of this you know being you know game pieces on a game board uh, is phenomenal. I, I think that it's I think it's one of the best mobile games that I've ever played, uh, and I've certainly I've played games like XCOM, like the Banner Saga, that are translations you know of like a of a PC or console title that work really, really well on the, uh, the tablet, you know, due to the, just, you know, due to the nature of the game. But as far as a game being designed for mobile platforms that really engages me and gives me something to, to really kind of chew on and think about, uh, Hitman go, I, I think is, is probably one of the, one of the best examples of a mobile designed game that I've ever played. I'm supremely impressed with it. I, uh, I'm anxious to see what else uh, Square does. I know that, uh, you know, the sequel Hitman Sniper is, it's not going to be the same game mechanics. They're focused on, you know, on a, on a different kind of scenario for that game. I'm interested to see what that ends up being, but uh, I, I'd really like to see, uh, I'd like to see some kind of follow up to Hitman Go that, 
that you know stays within this paradigm and, and expands on it because uh, now that I'm through with it, all I all I want is more. It really is. Uh, I agree with you, Brett. I think it's one of the most smartly designed mobile games that has ever been made. I mean, in taking into a, a game that truly takes into account the platform on which it is being played and, and yeah. designs around that in the most clever and interesting ways. Uh, and I think it's a fantastic game. And, I, and I'm glad you reminded me of it. I played a lot of it. Um, but but I, it's something I have put down in, in recent days. And I'm glad you reminded me of it because I will be traveling. Uh, and that's a fantastic game to play. I really, really enjoy it. And I'm glad to hear that you went back to it. Yeah, I am too, man. So uh, what's going to close us out today? Uh, well, I finished up, my friend, Dying Light. All right, cool. Uh, and, and all I'm going to say about it is, you know, it's really interesting because as I was, I was, I was weighing on the decision of whether or not to buy the Order 1886, I'm thinking, you know, this game is a lot about story, and I love story-driven games. I really, really do. Um, but here you have a game in Dying Light that is, um, is 100% about the gameplay, and, and, and it's just so well done. I, I really did. I enjoyed it from beginning to end, and I think... When all was said and done, I finished the game in about 30 hours or so. Yeah. Uh, and I had fun 95% of the time I was playing it. I mean, like, genuine fun. And uh, I, to be honest with you, I deleted Shadow of Mordor because uh, I was looking through my games and I was like, you know what? If I'm going to go back and dive into an open world, I, I want to go dive into Dying Light. I want to go play, and I want to go play more of that game. Right. Um, and it's very telling about that game. And it's all about the game mechanics. It has, it has nothing whatsoever to do with the story at all. It's all about the game mechanics. And I really, I think they did a really good job, Brett. I think it's a far superior game to uh, the previous Dead Island title. And, and uh, not that this is a Dead Island game, but it's from the same makers, yeah, but of course. Yeah, I, I understand it. You know, it's kind of in that lineage. Yeah, and it's, I just, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think if you're on the fence about it, I get that. I understand why you would be looking at it like, the story, the dialogue just sounds awful, and it is. And it, uh, it does. So, yeah. so if you watch the graphics, uh, uh, f- frequently look beautiful, but also very frequently look uh, terrible, like I've said before, inside of the buildings. And so I can see how you could watch somebody playing it or, or, or uh, uh, see snippets of, of uh, trailers of the gameplay and think, like, that game looks crappy or this store just sounds so cheesy. And it's another damn zombie game, and look, he's whacking a zombie. I totally get that. But it's a lot of fun to play. And if you're on the fence with this one, I would say, you know, maybe consider it when it goes on sale or maybe give it a rent because uh, I, I really I really enjoy playing it for 30 hours, Brad. And I expect to go back and play it some more in the future. Sweet. Yeah. A uh, very, very pleasant surprise for me. I was not expecting to have that reaction. Well, I certainly wasn't expecting you to have it either, but it's, it's been very interesting to kind of hear how much you have enjoyed the aspects of it that you have. Yeah, indeed. I really, really have. Um, and uh, with that, I think that's going to be the show. Uh, I think we've so. got a bunch of games in. Uh, we will, of course, be back next week. Um, we, we might ask for a little flexibility as I'm traveling and, and making the change back to the United States, but hopefully shows will come out uh, when they're supposed to. We'll absolutely do the best we can. We will be back uh, next week, though, and we shouldn't be missing an episode, hopefully. Uh, until then, you know, as usual, we want you guys to comment on everything we talked about today, whether it's Dying Light or Hitman Go, Wolfenstein, please go play that game, Tomb Raider, The Wolf Among Us, or Evolve. Uh, please uh, throw in your thoughts about what Daniel's doing and, and, and uh, show him some love, because I know he likes to know that you guys are happy to have him here. And if we uh, uh, clap loud enough, maybe he'll be kind enough to come back. And, uh, of course, what we talked about in the garage today got to make a comment about Kanye West. I mean, everybody's got to be, you know, at, at least to some degree, super interested in that. Uh, the Tomb Raider, their partnership with Microsoft and how they're handling it and their brand management, 
And then, of course, the seven minutes of gameplay of Until Dawn, which I'm particularly intrigued by. Be curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that and everything we talked about. As usual, he is Brent Adams. I am Lauren Baumgartner. And remember, you don't stop playing because you get old. You get old because you stop playing. <laughs> <laughs>